0: We'll start with where we left off last time, which is Revelation 12, and the first couple of verses here. I'm going to start with verse 7, and we're going to read 7 through 9 here, and then we'll discuss it. Then we'll read a few more verses and discuss it, kind of like what we do at Bible class on Sunday morning. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. All right. So number of things happening in these couple of verses. Uh, first of all, before we go any further, look back at verse six. Remember last time we talked about the woman, the child, and the dragon, and how that was all kind of working out. But look at verse six, where it says, "Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she was, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there for one thousand two hundred and sixty days." We de- we decided that that meant obviously three and a half years or 42 months. Same period of time. And of course, the first six verses of 12 is an overview from the time Israel is born all the way up through this part here where it says, and then she flees into the wilderness. We're going to get to that again in what we're going to cover tonight because obviously that portion is in the tribulation. So let's keep that in mind as we talk about these verses. So in... um, In these verses, we've got John who actually sees a war. That must have been unbelievable. John is privy to this, he sees this actual war. Now, what's fascinating to me is I always ask the question to myself when I see stuff like this, what exactly did John see? Did God allow John to see into the future and actually see that war happen, or did he see it in some other metaphorical, allegorical way? We don't really know, but we do know that he was able to recognize the characters. He knew who Michael was, probably had mm -hmm. never seen him before, but all of a sudden he knows who he was. How did that happen? Well, obviously, I think God gave him a revelation that that was Michael the same way that The Holy Spirit gave Peter the revelation that thou art the Christ, thou art the son of the living God. That came only by the Holy Spirit. So I'm sure the same thing was happening with John as the scene unfolded. And it must have been unbelievable to see these angelic beings, Michael with his angels, leading the fight against Satan and Satan's angels. And Michael and his angels beat Satan to the point where They're kicked out of heaven. Now, one of the biggest questions that happens when you get to this verse is people go, well, when did this happen? Because Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, where he goes, I saw Satan falling like, like, right? When, When does that happen? And there are all kinds of interpretations for this, as you might guess, because it's revelation, but I view this as still yet future. Right now, Satan has access to God and God's throne where he does what? He is always accusing us. Always accusing us before God. Well, look what Fred just did. Did you hear what just came out of his mouth? What about that thought right there? All the time, that's all he does with every believer in heaven. He currently has access to the throne of God. We know that this is accurate because Job chapter 1... The sons of God reported to God, and with them there was Satan. He's just there. He's the constant thorn in our side. That's exa- that's all he does. He spends his days, part of his days accusing believers before God. I can't imagine the circular reasoning that happens with Satan and God, have, you know I mean it's just incredible, but he finally gets kicked out of heaven. and when does this happen? I believe it happens. That's what's so interesting. I believe it happens right at the midpoint, right around the midpoint of the tribulation. Mm -hmm. And I could be wrong. Others disagree with me. I mean, that's a... a... But that's the way I figure. And the reason I I look at it that way is because of those 1,260 days. That's the Mm -hmm. three and a half years left of the tribulation. So... We also know that Jesus talked about the tribulation in Matthew 24, as well as the great tribulation when he said, and at this point, when this starts, there will be great tribulation such as has never been seen before and never will be. So the the second three and a half years of the tribulation is really, really ramped up. So why is that? Well, because Satan now no longer has access to heaven, no ability to accuse us anymore. Um, And now he's got to focus his attention on the people of earth. We'll get to that in a minute. Satan is the great dragon. I love John's descriptors here. He's the great dragon. He's fierce, cruel, monstrous in nature. And yet, Paul tells us he's able to deceive by coming as an angel of light. Um, I'll give you one example here. I don't have the video, but it's really fascinating. You're familiar probably with Hindu belief system, to an extent. India, their Buddhism, Hinduism, and all that stuff. Sorry. No, it's okay. You need love, Buster. He does. He does. Come here. You never get any love. <laughs> so I'm right here. Come here. In that system, their meditation is a process whereby they go up through these chakras, and the chakras are on your spine. And as you go up and up and up, higher and higher and higher, there is a, with these chakras, you finally get to a point where you awaken. It's it's called kundalini, where you awaken this energy within you. The God within you. Yes, and so what's fascinating about this, this is actually, this has actually infiltrated the church in America to a great degree. And there are plenty of videos showing what's happening here. One guy put out a video showing what's happening in some of the emergent churches in America and then switched over and showed exactly what's happening in India uh, where they have these New Age meditation conferences. Same exact stuff. Same exact stuff. And so what we're talking about is this is all created and developed and pushed by this dude. He is fierce, cruel, monstrous in nature, even though he comes as... An angel of light, deceiving all who can be deceived. He's the serpent of old, verse 9, which means crafty, subtle. He is so subtle and so crafty that he could, I mean, you think of the best used car salesman you've ever seen, and that's nothing compared <laughs> to him. Yeah. Devil means accuser or slanderer. I, I found this interesting. In the first century, there was a person that was not their name. They were called the delater. Their job—they would get paid big bucks for this. Their job was simply to go around falsely accusing people, in, and they would be used in courts of law. And their word was often taken over yours. And if you didn't have any witnesses to back up your innocence, the delater. Would that word of the delater would often stand. And that was a big deal in the first century, especially in the Roman Empire. So that's what the devil is. He accuses us. He will even slander us. He does whatever he can to get God to deal with us. But of course, that doesn't work. But that's what he does. Now, Satan, of course, means adversary. So this is someone who is constantly in the position of standing against us. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Even if he tries to make it seem like he's with you, but he's actually standing against you. And um, he's so subtle. I mean, look at Peter. When Peter said to Jesus, Lord, let it never be, that you're not going to mm-hmm. be handed, you know, that's not going to happen. And Jesus was like, get thee behind me, sing. And I can imagine what Peter thought, but it was so subtle, the, the way that Peter understood that thought when it came into his mind, it just made sense to him. Not even realizing that it was totally opposed to God's will. Yeah. And that's how subtle saying, we know that. Yeah, it's always in our thoughts. I right. I remember Mark once saying, you know, you have to preach to yourself, and yeah. I have to preach to myself mm-hmm. because otherwise, those thoughts are always, right. those right. accusations are always there. We have and like Peter, you know, he he was like, no, Lord, we don't we don't want you to be tortured. Right. We don't want you to be killed, and like let that never happen. Yeah, but, and it sounds. Logical. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, you don't want anybody to get this man you love, the, the Son of God. We don't want him tortured and killed. But like you said, that wasn't. That's not God's plan. No, it isn't. So. It's just absolutely amazing. And even if you look at Matthew four, and see the way Satan thought he was so sly in trying to tempt Jesus. Yeah. If, if you're hungry, well, wait. You're the Son of God. Just turn this into bread. Mm-hmm. I mean. Certainly, God doesn't want you to go oh, You're going to starve to death, man. You know, I mean, you can just see it. Um, I don't know if you ever saw it. Max Monsito played Jesus Christ in a movie years ago. Um, and that scene was very well done cinematography-wise with the character who played Satan. Mm-hmm. And then against Max Monsito's Jesus. They're in the wilderness. And when he's trying to get him to eat, Satan is eating and he's going hmm. he's like, make some bread son of God and it was just matter of fact about it it was just very interesting it was a pretty interesting way to do it so it's adversary he deceives the whole world he is the epitome of deceptive um, three mentions by the way in verse 9 where it says he's cast out maybe yours says thrown down something along those lines. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Three times it says that, which really emphasizes and stresses the humiliating defeat of Satan. Satan is literally thrown out of heaven. He is sequestered to this earth itself from this point on. Now, of course, this would never have happened if Satan had never tempted our first parents. Because once he did that, and he literally stole the title deed of the earth from our parents who were God's managers of this planet at that point, he stole it, he became inextricably bound with the future history of this world. So Satan now is actually tossed out of heaven, forced to be on the earth only. That's it. So imagine With him and his minions, we don't know how many there are, but we know there's one-third of all the total angels. We don't know how many angels there are, but I'm sure one-third is quite a bit. Now they are sequestered to the earth. So for the remainder of the Great Tribulation, the three and a half years, that's why I think one of the big reasons it gets as bad as it does, because he is now on the earth, And he literally roams around and he's looking for every opportunity to do as much damage as he can. And again, I just think that this is probably from the midpoint of the tribulation on because there's 1,260 days remaining. All right, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God, day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath Because he knows that he has a short time. Okay, wow. So here's this guy, the creator of murder, death, lies, deception, and everything else. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning. And now John is privy to this. John hears this word, these two verses, that he hears this. And it's really an outburst of praise from heaven. We can understand why Satan's no longer crossing the yeah. threshold. He's gone. He can no longer be in heaven to accuse any of them, any martyrs, any people, who, anything. He can't accuse anyone anymore. So these people, the voice, we're not sure who says this. It could be a group of people. It could be one person speaking for many. But he hears this voice and it could very well be many of the tribulation martyrs up to this point or it could also be an angel referring to these people because he says they did not love their lives to the death which meant they're dead they had died they had been martyred yeah and now here they are and can you imagine that you've been martyred you're in heaven and like right now you're in heaven before the throne before the lord Satan, right now, still has access. So what is he doing? He's accusing you. Even though you know that you're a Christian, even though you know that it was the blood of Christ that gave you salvation, um, provided it for you, and all your sins are forgiven, God will no longer remember them. And Satan is constantly there to try to force God to remember the sins that you committed even though God says, I will never remember them again. So that's what he's doing right now, part of what he's doing. But when we get to this point during the tribulation, (laughs) Satan's gone, those people finally get a break, they're ecstatic, which I would be too. Hmm. I mean, it'd be like, (laughs) you know, we've all unfortunately probably met people who have these weird personalities where they're just not happy (laughs) unless they're picking on something. You know, it's just, they're just not happy. And they can find fault with anything. And when they leave from being around you, you go, ah, I can breathe again. And you see, we can kind of imagine to some extent what's happening here. So they're rejoicing in what is coming after, after Satan is expelled from heaven. And it's all right there. Salvation and strength. Now they're saying now, salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Where? Well, ultimately, it's to the world, which isn't coming yet. But for them, salvation actually, in a fuller sense, has come to the heavens. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. evil has been vanquished. And so what, what this is saying, what they're so excited about, is that this, right here, Now, salvation and strength of the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Ultimately, that will extend all the way to the entire creation. The entire creation. So we see people who are rejoicing in what is coming after Satan's gone. And that includes God's salvation, which in this case, ultimately means victory over all of creation. God's power and victory over every aspect of creation. We know right now, according to Paul, there's a curse on the on creation, not just on the earth, it's on creation. So, you know, I look at my dog and he's got one eye gone. Well, I look at animals who are laying dead in the road that were killed by this or that or animals who have to kill each other. That's part of the curse. I mean, if we had never sinned ever ever then there would be no curse on any portion of creation so ultimately that is going to be lifted there will be a manifestation of God's power throughout all of creation his kingdoms millennial and ultimately the eternal kingdom after the new heavens and the new earth are created and ultimately all of it through the authority of the Anointed One, Jesus. You know, it was interesting when when David was talking this morning about impatience and how impatient we are. and You know, we pray and we don't get the answer and all that. And, And I've thought of that many times. And the only thing I can conclude is that here we are on this globe, Earth, and this globe, unfortunately, is inside time. So with us you know, a day, a week, three months, two years, seems like such an inordinate amount of time. And God, being in eternity, is not at all governed by time, but can come in here anytime he wants to, but he's not governed by time. He's free of time. So to him, he sees everything that goes on on this earth, regardless of the date it happened or will happen, he sees it all as his eternal present. So, what helps me is when I realize that, you know what? This is nothing compared to God. And God has answered the prayer. God's already dealt with this. I just haven't gotten to that point yet. But God's already dealt with it because he's in eternity. So to me, ultimately though, we are going to see the authority of the anointed, anointed one, Jesus, and in the forms of his kingdom, millennial and eternal, and and the full manifestation of God's power throughout all creation. So the people in heaven, when Satan is kicked out, the people in heaven are finally getting a small taste of this. But it's going to get that much worse for the people on earth. So he will continue. Now he's got to concentrate. Okay, I'm here on earth. Can't go to heaven anymore to accuse. Okay, what am I going to do? Well, I'm just going to use all my energy to persecute believers on the earth, though he can't accuse them in heaven anymore. So that's what he's doing right here. Now, in verse 13 and 14, Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. We know that that's Israel, and the male child is Christ, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. There's an awful lot right in there. I mean, we could could spend a week or two on that, but I won't. I'm just gonna give an overview of what I think's going on. And I know that you'll continue your study and if you find something different or better or whatever, that's great. Satan, first of all, knows his time is very short. So he's not a happy camper. He knows at this point he has three and a half years. Three and a half years. And the other thing now, Satan is kind of outside of our time as well, Um, though certainly he can be in it. He is not eternal, not even close to being God as far as Being all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent, all that stuff. He is very limited. But now he's even more limited because he's sequestered to this planet. And he has three and a half years to do what he can do. Three and a half years. That's not long. And he knows it. So he's no longer in heaven to accuse the saints. So he turns his attention to earth-dwelling believers. And he will, as it says in verse 12, have great wrath at this point. So, if you, I'm sure you have, you've seen snakes that are really angry. Like, some snakes are just automatically ornery. That's their nature. Like a rattlesnake or a copperhead. Yeah, they tend to be, you're in my way, and if you don't get out of my way, you know, you're going to, I'm going to hit you with my wrath. And, This is Satan. He ramps up his antagonism and hatred. Why does he hate the woman? Why does he hate the male child? Why does he hate those who are believers of the male child? Well, he hates the male child because he's God. I mean, he knows. He knows the Bible. He knows what's going to happen. Well, and also, too, don't forget... The male child gave us salvation. Yeah, victory Even. over death. So. so Satan hates that. He hates the fact that we get a chance. He doesn't. He sinned. Why doesn't he get one? He doesn't. But they have power over him. Who does? God. The male child... Oh yeah, it has power over him. Oh yeah, right. oh yeah. So I mean, he's pretty arrogant. I think it would kind of tick him off pretty bad have somebody <laughs> oh, yeah. more powerful sure. than him. I know he is arrogant, but I'm sure he doesn't see it that way.
1: But he's then again, again, he, well, has, he what else?
0: Keep... What else can he do? Yeah, and he seems to think he still can. He still can win. he keeps trying. It's like, well, if I get a million men, if I can get more people... He has nothing else else he can do because he knows he's never going to have salvation. Never. And he also knows that the end result of his existence will be in the lake of fire forever. He knows that. So what is his goal? To keep as many people as possible from joining other believers, with Christ forever and ever. That's his goal. The company. Yeah. 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 He literally loves confidence. He's merciful, and you're to buy this. Yeah, and imagine right. being in the lake of fire as Satan, and literally, I mean, he will be, if he can at all, he'll lord it over anybody who's there. But I, it was really interesting. I read some really good articles this week about hell. And uh, it's not the greatest topic, but it's, in, it's interesting, incredibly interesting, because people in hell, they're gonna be screaming for an eternity. They're gonna be in absolute, abject pain. I think of the people who I, every week I watch a little short video on the people who famous people who have died this week. And I, I with Sylvia and I go, Okay, how many of them knew Jesus? Mm-hmm. They're all famous, very few. Yeah, it's incredible. So he will at least get some satisfaction in knowing that he kept people from receiving salvation. That's how miserable, vindictive, and evil he is. So Satan knows how things will work out because he knows this word better than any living person aside from Jesus Christ. He knows it better than anybody. Yeah. He knows how it's going to go. Yet he continues warring against God anyway because he has no other option. He's not going to get salvation. So I think he wants to take as many people with him to the lake of fire. And remember, when the lake of fire was created, the Bible tells us it was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for people. But people who choose to follow the way that Satan went will go the same route. So this morning, Mark was talking about Dante's Inferno. Yes, yes. I thought that was interesting. It was interesting. Because we talked about it this week. So, at some point, is Satan sent to his own hell to be in agony for the rest of his time? He he gets the the lake of fire where all the unsaved people end up at the end? Yeah, everything everything gets thrown into the lake of fire, including hell and death. Right. so right now you've got hell which is the holding place but the one Abraham's bosom side is empty, the people who are waiting for the lake of fire are still <laughs> populating the other side so the first actual living person to go into the lake of fire will be the antichrist and the false prophet, we'll get to that eventually and then Satan is sequestered for a thousand years, after he gets out he tries one last time to create this rebellion against God, he's overruled destroyed, conquered, then he's tossed in the lake of fire, and then the great white throne judgment happens after that, which we'll get into, I think it's Revelation 20, where everyone who stands before God at the great white throne judgment is basically being told why they're going to hell, not if. So, Satan, Antichrist, false prophet are the first three individuals in the lake of fire, and then everybody else follows after that. So when we die, I'm sure you know, according to Paul, we stand before God and Christ in what's called the Bema Seat judgment, where we are not judged for whether or not we have salvation. We're judged for how well we did in this life and what rewards we might get because of what we did in this life. But we don't, it's, we're don't. we not judged. And I love the way Paul says this, which is kind of scary. I think it's First, first Corinthians 3 or 5, where he talks about the fact that at that th- that being the seat of judgment, some people will barely escape the flames because Christ is going to use the purifying effects of fire to judge us and our, not judge us, but judge our works, yeah, our words, our, work. our thoughts, our actions as we lived in this life. So the fact that some people barely squeak by, mm-hmm. they, and he literally, he says that, tells you that there are some people who are Christian but they spend their lives doing whatever they want. But they had faith, they're truly saved, but you look at them outwardly and you go, mm, maybe There's not no so fruit. much, but we can't see their hearts, so we can't judge them. But anyway, yes, Satan will be... He'll be in the lake of fire. Sometimes I wonder if he can actually see it. I mean, it exists right now, it was already created, so where is it? Um, so he increases his attacks that he cannot get to the woman. He's really... Not happy about that. She can't get to the woman, the remnant. And when it says the woman, the Israel, we're talking about the final remnant of Israelites that, were, that are probably alive now, who, when the tribulation is over, will be the ones who go into the millennial kingdom, and that's where they will enjoy every aspect of all the promises that God made to Abraham fully. They'll have their land, that, I mean, it's just fascinating. You read Ezekiel the and other portions that it talks about that. But he can't get to those people. The Jews run to the hills and Christ alludes to that in Matthew 24, 15 through 28. And then God protects and preserves them for three and a half years, very much like he did Elijah. Remember Elijah when he uh, the ravens came and fed him? And then he came across that widow with her son and she was gonna make that last bit of bread, and then she and her son were going to die, and he goes, well look, no, make it for me first. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of interesting. Didn't even know the guy. Uh, make it for me first, would you? Okay. And so, they had enough bread and oil to last until it was no longer needed. So, God protects and preserves them for three and a half years. The text literally says, there are times and times and half a time. And most Bible cult scholars believe it makes perfect sense that it means literally three and a half years. And this goes back to Daniel seven twenty-five. Let me see if I can get there real quickly. I have to find it first. It's interesting here. Yeah, I'm looking in the notes because the eagle. I mean, you read that and it's like, okay, what are we talking about here? Um, and I think these are Constable's notes, where he talks about um, the evil is just metaphorical of like when God took the Israelites out of Egypt. Yeah. The comparison between an eagle that can fly overhead and an earthbound and an earthbound serpent implies the superior protection of God. But evidently, many Israelites will flee from Jerusalem into desolate places to escape persecution. Some say it's Petra. Yeah, yeah, it may or may not be. But in Daniel 7.25, it says here, um, One more page. This is why I I like having my Bible on my phone, because I can just tell it to go there, and it goes there. And he shall speak pompous words, referring to the uh, Antichrist at the end, against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and the law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So this section of Revelation, this, this verse right here where it talks about time and times and half a time, it's actually directly related all the way back to Daniel 7.25 where we have this verse where it talks about this is this pompous Antichrist who persecutes. And remember, when Satan does this, we're not going to see him. Whoever is here at this point isn't going to see Satan. But who are they going to see? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. The antichrist. Because the Antichrist and Satan will be so melded together and he Satan will so empower the Antichrist that the two will virtually be almost the same. Antichrist will be the, ph- the literal physical representation of Satan, the force behind him. So we're talking about the Antichrist at this point and uh, for, for uh, three and a half years he will persecute the saints. Persecute them for three and a half years. And also Daniel twelve seven, 7. Uh, the Great Eagle, you kind of got ahead of me, but it's kind of okay. the same thing. It's really a metaphorical Uh, figurative way of likening here because he talks about the woman and he says, you know, um, he persecuted her, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Well, was she really given two wings of a great eagle? No, because if you look when God describes the Exodus, Exodus 19.4, Deuteronomy 32, and also in Isaiah 40.31, basically it talks about the fact that I led you out of Egypt on wings of an eagle Mm -hmm. and there was no eagle that they saw so it's obviously an allegorical or figure of speech a metaphor for something else their flight was very quick compared to i mean over six hundred thousand people just the men alone and this group of people moved through the wilderness through the desert up to the promised land so it's going to be very similar these people the israelites alive then who are part of the remnant will be out of there as quick as they can be and it'll be like a great eagle all right and what time is it well we'll finish up with this as if this is okay is this okay with everybody well we'll just stop with this slide we won't finish the rest of it I mean, unless you want to. So the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth and the dragon was enraged with the woman. So he tries to get her. He tries to get these Jews, but he can't. So he's enraged. And he then decides to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This actually could be referring the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It could be referring to two different groups there. The commandments of God could be referring to the 144,000 and the testimony of Jesus Christ, although it covers both of them. Some people believe it's the 144,000. Others believe it's just all the believers who were not Jews at that time. So here, this this is kind of reminiscent to me of. Um, uh, let me just go over this uh, slide, and then we'll be done for today. But what's interesting is um, this kind of reminds me of the Antiochus Epiphanes of, of uh, 168 BC. He was on his way to Egypt. Mm-hmm to pick a fight with Egypt. And Rome was just upcoming at that point. So they basically intercepted Antiochus Epiphanes, who was from Syria. And he basically said, you touch Egypt, you're going to be dealing with Rome. Up to you. So Antiochus decided, well, okay, fine. I don't want to deal with Rome. So he turns around and heads back to uh, Syria, he was very, very angry, and we know when he stops in at Israel, that's when that slaughter, slaughter of thousands of Jews, and he he took, uh, that's when the abomination of desolation was created, because he took this statue of Zeus and put it inside the Holy of Holies, he slaughtered a pig on the altar, spread the blood around the inside of the Holy of Holies, killed the high priest, I mean, it, it was just a bloodbath and Rome didn't care about that. They didn't want him messing with Egypt. And it's the same kind of thing. He, Satan, through the Antichrist, is going after this remnant and basically he has stopped. So he turns his attention to the rest of the believers who were alive at that time. So the serpent spewed water. It could be water. Although Palestine doesn't really lend itself to this there really isn't that kind of water. Mm. But God could do a miracle. Yeah. Although this isn't God doing, this is Satan, so maybe he does a supernatural miracle. But in scripture, a flood is often used to describe overwhelming persecution, and it also refers to military movement or invasions. There's a flood against this particular empire. Usually that's a river of soldiers, a military invasion from another empire. It's most likely, I think, a picturesque way of describing Satan's attempt to destroy the Jews. And it's interesting here that the ground helps by Mm -hmm. swallowing up the flood. Well, we've seen numerous times in Scripture where, um, what is it, the rebellion of Korah, where they're ultimately swallowed up by the earth. God opens the earth and they just fall in, right right into hell. Mm -hmm. So it could be something like that too. We don't really know. Um, let me just check real quick. I know it's getting kind of late. I've got, I've got two more slides. Can I go through them? Yeah, real quick? Yeah, Would that be okay? yeah, I'd like to hear it. Okay. All this stuff. <laughs> All right. Satan's unsuccessful <laughs> attempt to destroy Jews will force him to turn on the rest. Any person living in the second portion of the tribulation who happens to be a believer is going to be an object of his wrath. And we know, as we'll get into this, Uh, next time with Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is where the mark of the beast is issued. So that's in the second half of the tribulation where the mark of the beast is issued. And anyone who doesn't get that initially won't be able to buy or sell. Ultimately, anybody who doesn't have it will be martyred. He just goes, he pulls out all the stops who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. This could possibly be the 144,000 believing evangelists or all other non-Jewish believers, including the 144,000. Don't really know. I, I kind of feel like anybody who's a Christian at that point has got a target on their back. That's kind of the way I look at it. All right, so next time... Oh, good. That was the last one. We're going to cover Revelation 13, which is the beast from the sea, which is the Antichrist, in my opinion and also cover the beast from the earth who is the false prophet. So, we'll also see Satan's final attempts to use his agents on earth to overthrow God and establish his own permanent kingdom. You know, you said, he's arrogant. Yeah, yeah. What else does he have? He has to be arrogant, right? Any questions? Comments? A lot. What? It's a lot. It yeah. is. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did write it, so. But I mean, Don't it, it's.